welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Well, hey, everybody. My name is Matt Burleson, a recovering sexaholic, grateful sexaholic from uh, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, so ever since February, February 9th, 2007. And I appreciate this, this opportunity. Um, and I've I got about 20 minutes, as I understand it, and I'm a... I'm a college uh, professor, so I'll try to I'll try to rein it in. But uh, I'm used to I'm used to talking for a long period of time. Um, and uh, yeah, my experience, strength, and hope is re- really centers around uh, surrender. Today, I I uh, I'm not a sexaholic who got caught. I'm a sexaholic who got tired. I just got exhausted from from my way of living and uh, couldn't handle living that way anymore. Uh, I tried everything that I knew to. Uh, on the one hand, satisfy myself uh, in, in terms of, of how I wanted to live my life and, and what I wanted my life to look like. And then on the other hand, uh, I tried everything I could to uh, to stop acting out sexually. And I just couldn't do it. It was it was beyond me. Um, and uh, so yeah, I grew up in a, a religious home where we had uh, pretty strict um, moral definitions of, of what sexuality is supposed to look like. And I followed those as well as I knew how uh, up until I got married. Um, and uh, I certainly had experimented with, uh, with pornography and, and, and masturbation. Uh, those were not uh, particularly regular, regular parts of my life, uh, really, until I got married and expected, expected marriage to, to fix my sexual issues. And it didn't didn't come close, and uh, so I began looking for for ways of of solving that problem on my on my own, assuming that the problem was simply sexuality. It seemed like every other part of my life was was in pretty good shape, and sexuality just wasn't working the way that I thought it should. <clears throat> and uh, so I ended up having a, a series of affairs. I had seven seven different affairs in seven years, um, and uh, this was. Not the way I expected my life to go. Uh, if, if even in that intervening time when I heard about someone else having an affair, I thought, "Well, you know, what a jerk! I can't believe someone would actually do something like that." Uh, but what I was doing, meantime, made sense to me. It it felt right. It felt uh, it felt normal and natural. I felt like I was getting what I needed. Uh, but at the end of it. Uh, what turned out to be the end of it, I was absolutely exhausted from living a double life. I was still a very uh, religious person, still very involved in, in uh, practicing my religion, and uh, uh, was uh, involved in, a, in an affair with someone else uh, that, that I went to church with. And uh, we were actually uh, up in front of people uh, doing, doing ministry in front of people uh, while while we were having an affair, and uh, I just got really worn out from hiding that. Uh, I never got caught. I just got really tired. 
And so in coming to the end of myself and, and looking at the fact that I couldn't stop myself, um, I was convinced that my way didn't work, that my way was, uh, was incapable of getting me to the kind of life that I wanted to live um, as much as I had tried it. And so I became willing through my, through my own failure to try what someone else suggested. So I sat down with a couple of friends, talked to them. They, they suggested I go see a counselor. Um, I was willing to take suggestions, so I went to see this counselor, and he made suggestions. I followed his suggestions. It finally became obvious that um, I needed to disclose to my wife, and so I did that under his direction. And uh, after doing that, my wife and I started going to counseling, and I was willing to follow the instructions of the counselor, and she told me to go to SA. And uh, I thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll try that out. I'll, I'll go to a few meetings. I'll get some tips and move on from there. And then she suggested that I get a counselor. And since I was following suggestions, I'm not a counselor, I'm sorry, a sponsor. Since I was following suggestions, I got a sponsor and uh, began following his suggestions. And in doing that, I worked the 12 steps, and I found not only sobriety but recovery. I found freedom from um, my inability to to make decisions about about my sexuality, and as uh, as I did that, I discovered the deeper issues of lust and the fact that what was driving my uh, my sexual behavior was my lust, um, and that what was driving my lust was uh, was all sorts of of stuff down inside me. But but the answer to that was connecting with a higher power, a power that could actually relieve my sexualism and, uh, and give me the kind of life that I always wanted. Um, I always wanted to be an authentic person, but, uh, but I was unable to do that on my own power. And so uh, what that comes down to for me is that the only way I can live an authentic life, the only way I can live the way that I want to live life is through surrender. Um, now surrender is not a word that I find in the big book. Um, and, uh, but uh, the, the idea of surrender is certainly in there. So I'd just like to talk about that for a few minutes. Um, and uh, the, the problem with surrender, um, not only for us as sexaholics who want to run our own lives, you, know, it, you read the, the passage at the beginning of how it works that talks about the actor. That certainly described me trying to, trying to run the whole show. Um, but not only do I have that issue as a as a sexaholic, um, it's a it's a whole cultural attitude that that we're fighting against when we talk about surrender. Surrender is totally countercultural. Um, we're we're told constantly by our culture that we should follow our dreams, that we should follow our hearts, that we should pursue our way of doing things. Um, I, I see it in the kids shows that my my children watch. Um, Follow your heart. Follow your dreams. I see this message over and over and over again. And the suggestion, the message is that you are the center and that only you can decide what's best for you. Uh, only you can, uh, can be the one to decide how to live your life. Only you can tell you who you really are. Um, and so that's the cultural message that we're getting over and over and over again. And so not only do we have this this issue of selfishness and self-centeredness that the book that the big book tells me is the root of my troubles, uh, but I have my my culture constantly reinforcing that message and telling me that that's the way I need to live my life. And so there's a there's a phrase that 
that I've heard all my life, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. And, uh, and that's, that's really the American way, right? This is the, this is the way you're supposed to run your life. Apologies to those who are overseas. Um, but, uh, the American way is pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. The problem is literally if I, if I had actual bootstraps and grabbed hold of them and yanked, there's only one possible result. Physics demands that if I pull, if I pull myself up by, by my own bootstraps, I will fall on my butt every time. Every time I do that, there is no way that I can pull myself up by my, my own bootstraps and pull myself higher. Every time I will fall on my butt. But my culture is telling me over and over again that that's what I'm supposed to do. And that's what we're training our children to believe, that they're supposed to pull themselves up, that you can do anything that you can set your mind to. Um, and my experience says otherwise. Uh, my experience says that I cannot keep myself sober. Um, my experience tells me that, that, I, that there's no way that I can do that. And so I love this passage in, in the big book on page, page 31 uh, about the different things that we tried. Here are some of the methods that we have, methods that we have tried. Drinking beer only, limiting the number of drinks, never drinking alone, never drinking in the morning, drinking only at home, never having it in the house, never drinking during business hours, drinking only at parties, switching from scotch to brandy, drinking only natural wines, agreeing to resign if ever drunk on the job, taking a trip, not taking a trip, swearing off forever with and without a solemn oath, taking more physical exercise, reading inspirational books, going to health farms and sanitariums, accepting voluntary commitment to asylums. We can increase the list ad uh, infinitum. Um, and uh, if, this were a, if we were in the same room together, I would open up the floor here and we'd talk about um, the, the different things that we've tried. I, th- I think that uh, with buzzing in and buzzing out, that probably won't work very well. But uh, um, it'd be interesting just, just for us to talk about the different things that we tried to, to stay sober and the different things that we tried to run our lives. Um, but the fact is, um, when I'm sitting, when I'm sitting in a room with a bunch of sexaholics, I know I'm sitting in a room with a bunch of losers. We lost, we absolutely lost the fight when it came to keeping ourselves sober. It was beyond us. At least it was certainly beyond me when it comes to, when it comes to lust, I am a loser. I cannot do anything that I set my mind to. My mind defeats me every time when I try to run the show. And so I had this cultural message over and over and over again telling me that I can do anything I, I could set my mind to, that I should follow my dreams, I should follow my heart, where my dreams are filthy and my heart is dark. And so these are not good things for me to follow. And so um, what happens is I surrender whether I want to or not. Uh, the fact is, for me, you know, we talk a lot about surrender in this program, um, and we really need to surrender. The fact is, I'm going to surrender. Surrender is not an option. Um, at any point, I'm going to surrender when it comes to when it comes to living my life. The only option I have is what I surrender to. I don't have an option of whether I surrender because I am a defeated person. I'm a beaten man. the The book says on page thirty, we're like men who have lost their legs. They never grow new ones. Neither does there appear to be any kind of treatment which will make alcoholics or sexaholics of our kind like, like other men. We have tried every imaginable remedy. I lost. I cannot win this fight. It's beyond me. And so it takes, it takes a long time for that to get into my head. It certainly took me a long time and years of acting out before I realized my way doesn't work. 
and so I had surrendered to lust over and over and over again. Often, you know, within seconds after uh, absolutely choosing never to do this again. Um, I, I would, you know, I will never, never, never do this again. And then I do it again. And then I will never. Do, and so over and over again, I lost that fight. And so the fact is, the fact is for me, I will surrender. Surrender is not an option. The only option I have is what I will surrender to. And I can either surrender to lust or I can surrender to a higher power. And so um, it's not an option for me to have a higher power. I'd better have a higher power or I'm going to destroy myself. That's my experience. Um, And so I became willing to surrender. I was willing to surrender to the friends that I shared with. I was willing to, to surrender to their suggestions and then the counselor's suggestions and then another counselor's suggestions and then my sponsor. And I've followed his suggestions since then. And uh, so, you know, we use this word a lot. Um, what I love about this program is that it's very, very practical. It's an extremely pra- practical program. It tells me how to do things. I used to think I was an extremely complicated person. Um, and that's one of the reasons that I thought uh, having affairs was, was a good idea for me. I'm a complicated person. I have complicated problems. I need complicated solutions. And what I've discovered in this program is that I'm really a pretty simple guy, uh, and my, my solutions are pretty simple. Um, my problem is selfishness and self-centeredness, that, that I tried to run the show. And when I try to run the show, um, it puts me in collision with everybody around me. Um, but I have a higher power who's perfectly capable of running the show and producing harmony where I produce chaos. And so surrender. Um, we talk about that a lot. How do we do that practically? And so I just have a few suggestions about, about surrender and what that looks like. Uh, so first of all, um, surrender is not something that I found that I can do on my own. Um, I, surrender for me is not just, hey, God, I surrender my lust. Um, it, it's something that I have to do in community with other people um, because if, if it's just me in my own head, I can say the words and talk to God and talk to my higher power, but if, if I'm not actually surrounded by other people, um, it, have other people in my life, um, a lot of times it's just words. And so I, I recommend that you don't try surrendering on your own. And, of course, the best way to do that in a 12-step recovery program is to get a sponsor. Um, and so if you don't have a sponsor, if you're just trying to, to get sober on the fellowship, if that works for you, great. Um, uh, I think that does work for some people. It certainly did not, it would not have worked for me. Um, I needed to follow instructions. And so most people can't, can't get sober on the fellowship alone. And I see a distinction between the fellowship and the program. As, as I read the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, there are several points in the big book that it refers to the, the program as the steps themselves. And so if the program is the steps, then if you're not working the steps, you're really not working the program. You, you may be involved in the fellowship, but you're not working the program. Um, and so the program is actually working the 12 steps. And for me, that's got to be under the direction of a sponsor. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think I could have guided myself through the 12 steps in a way that was, uh, that was beneficial to me. So getting a sponsor, I think, is absolutely essential working the 12 steps as instructed by a sponsor, and following those instructions without question. When I first came into recovery, I, my mind didn't work right. I had, I had no idea how to make this thing work. And um, I would run ideas by my sponsor that seemed perfectly legitimate to me, and he'd laugh at me. And so 
um, my mind didn't work right. The good news is that as I work this program, sanity returns. And so it's not that the self gets destroyed. It's not that the will is never relevant anymore. It's that I learn the proper use of the will, as the book tells me. And the book tells me that the, the proper use of the will is to align my will with God's. Um, and the fact is, my, the self, who I really am, doesn't go away when I work recovery even though I'm taking instructions and, and uh, doing what other people tell me, what happens is the real self emerges, the, the person that I was actually created to be. So get a sponsor. Follow instructions without question. Work the steps. And one of the most practical ways of working the steps that I've encountered is what we, what we encounter in step 10, uh, which I think, for me, drives me back into all of the other steps. Uh, and so I love the passage on page 84, in, uh, in step 10 in the, in the Alcoholics Anonymous big book um, that, that talks about what to do when I get disturbed. Um, and the passage says, um, continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. Uh, and the suggestion is that, that those things are going to come back. You know, I've, I've, worked the, I've worked the fourth step on um, dishonesty and, and fear and resentment, but those things come back. And the book goes on to say, when these crop up, not if these crop up, but when these things crop up, because they're going to keep coming back, when these crop up, and it gives me four steps to follow in step 10 that drive me back into the, the rest of the steps. And so when these things crop up, number one, we ask God it wants to remove them. Again, this is on page 84 if you're, if you're flipping through the book. Um, and it's the, the second full paragraph. When these things crop up, number one, we ask God it wants to remove them. Number two, we discuss them with someone immediately. Number three, make amends quickly if we have harmed anyone. And then four, we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. And so that just gives me a really practical way of responding when I'm in a situation where I'm being tempted or where I'm not sure what to do. When I'm confused, I'm upset, I'm disturbed, I've got four things that I can do just immediately no matter where I am. No matter where I am, I can ask God to remove what's, what's bothering me, whether it be fear or dishonesty or resentment. Um, in the middle of whatever I'm doing, I can stop and do that. Um, number two, discuss them with someone immediately. It's, and, and for me, you know, it's as soon as I possibly can. Um, I discuss them with someone immediately. You know, sometimes when I ask God uh, it wants to remove something, it gets removed immediately. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, and so certainly discussing it with someone else is, is really beneficial to me. Um, and then third, make amends quickly if we've harmed anyone. A lot of times these days... Um, I get I notice I'm disturbed a lot sooner than I used to, and so um, I'm I'm doing this before I've harmed anyone, and so I'm grateful for that. A lot of times the the, the third part of that I don't have to do, but sometimes I do. Sometimes I realize I've, I've yelled at my kids or I've been rude to my wife or or, or whatever, and so I have to stop and, and make amends. Um, and then the fourth one I think is absolutely essential, and I think the fourth one is one that I forget a lot and that a lot of people forget. The fourth the fourth part of this process is. Uh, we resolutely turn our thoughts towards someone we can help. And that can take a whole lot of forms. Uh, it can be uh, calling someone in the program and just and not telling them how I'm doing, but just asking, asking them how they're doing. Um, it can be uh, washing the dishes. It can be it, whatever. And uh, I remember early on in recovery, um, I was, temptation was just on me. Um, I was really, really tempted to lust. And I, so I was just crying out in desperation to my higher power. Give me, give me somebody to help. Give me somebody to help. Um, and uh, bear with me here for a moment. Uh, I went and uh, had to go to the bathroom. I went into the bathroom. And I used the bathroom, and I was about to get up and go out of the bathroom. And the guy two stalls over said, 
do you have any toilet paper out there? And I was like, yes, someone that I can help, someone, <laughs> someone I can serve. And so I took the guy some toilet paper. And, uh, you know, looking for someone that I can be helpful to, it, it can be as, as simple as offering somebody toilet paper. Uh, it can be as simple as uh, what I – in fact, the, the simpler the better because if it's something really big, then I start to think about me uh, rather than thinking about how I'm, I'm serving and being a part of what, what God's doing. So I think that fourth part of that, of that tenth step process is absolutely essential, that I stop and say, how can I be of service to someone else? And so if you're struggling with surrender, if you're thinking about surrender and you're not sure how to do that, this, this, uh, this process in the tenth step is really, really valuable. And, and again, it's, it's something practical. You just carry on with you wherever you are. Ask God it wants to remove it. Uh, share it with someone immediately, make amends if I've done something wrong, and resolutely turn my thoughts towards someone I can help. Um, that's all I got. So I appreciate the opportunity to, to share, and I'm glad to, be, glad to be in this meeting. Thanks. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve. Uh-huh.